Gimme Shelter is supported by the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Okay. So we are not recording. We'll yeah. hand okay. it off. Okay. We are not recording. We are recording right now. We're, we're yeah. perfectly on. I any money. He's like, okay, so you're fired. <laughs> that's it. No, 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 wait a minute. Give me some coffee. Then you're fired. <laughs> Hey there, Gimme Shelter listeners. This is Matt Levin, data and housing reporter with Cal Matters. Hope you're doing well. It is Friday, February 28th. Uh, and no, you were not mistaken. That Austrian accented voice that you heard at the top of the podcast was none other than the kindergarten cop himself, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Liam and I have something a little different for this podcast this fortnight. A couple weeks back on February 13th, we were invited to do a live version of the podcast at an event put on by USC, and more specifically, the USC Price Center for Social Innovation and the USC Schwarzenegger Institute. Um, and the event was called Unhoused, Addressing Homelessness in California. And there was a, a pretty impressive lineup of elected officials who came out to deliver uh, keynote addresses at this event. That included L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Ben Carson was there, San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner was there, and of course Governor Schwarzenegger was there as well. I recommend you actually check out some of these speeches. It gives you a unique insight into some of the politics of homelessness in California and how they're playing out this year. I'll put a link to the YouTube recording of this in the show notes. But you're going to hear two segments here. The first segment is the live show Liam and I did on stage. And just some context here, we were told it was a possibility that Governor Schwarzenegger would join us on stage. And then we were told Governor Schwarzenegger may not join you on stage, so be prepared for that. So Liam and I did about 10 minutes on uh, how Governor Gavin Newsom is faring on housing and homelessness issues. And then in one of the more surreal moments of my journalistic career, Governor Schwarzenegger, without warning, just walked on stage about 10 minutes in. And we conducted a little mini interview, and he closed the event. Um, so that's the first segment you're going to hear. The second segment is we grabbed Schwarzenegger after the event for an impromptu interview on, on his views on California's housing crisis. We did that in the ballroom where this event was taking place as it was kind of being closed up. So you'll hear some uh, extraneous sounds in the background, but the audio quality is good enough. And I think that's it. Thanks again to USC and the Schwarzenegger Institute for inviting us. Um, enjoy these interviews with Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Good afternoon. My name is Liam Dillon. I'm a reporter with the Los Angeles Times, and I'm one half of this extremely dynamic, as you will soon see, <laughs> duo, which does a bi-weekly housing podcast called Gimme Shelter, which also is a great Rolling Stone song, uh, by the way. And uh, we talk about California housing issues from things that the governor is doing to things that are happening on the streets. This is always the most depressing part of our public events, but quick show of hands. Anybody who listens to the podcast, hands up. All right. Hey, yeah, we'll take not it. Not bad. We'll yeah. take it. Thank you, Governor. Yeah. Thank you, Governor Schwarzenegger. <laughs> the endorsement. Um, so we we typically choose a housing-related topic every two weeks that we discuss in um, arguably infuriating detail. Um, the topic that uh, we are going to kind of go over today is why it's so difficult to build housing in California, and specifically what Gavin Newsom, who's kind of conspicuously absent, I would say, or... From today? From today, sure. um, has done and not done to make it easier. And maybe we can start out with some of the uh, ambitious 
promises Newsom proposed while on the campaign trail. Right. So I think in contrast to the previous governor, Jerry Brown, Gavin Newsom has kind of made housing a centerpiece of what his platform was uh, when he was campaigning and, and in his first year or so in office. A couple of the big ticket items that he promised was supporting the building of three and a half million new homes statewide uh, over the next seven years. So between now and 2025, Uh, just for some context, right now in the state, we've built about 100,000 units a year. So this would be roughly five times the amount of housing that's built over a a seven-year period. So extremely extremely ambitious. Second, he called for a Marshall Plan on housing, which sort of evokes uh, World War II-ever resources that the state and others would provide to address housing issues. And then third, he talked a lot about kind of changing the financial calculus that cities have when they support housing. One issue as to why cities may find it difficult to support the building of new housing is to get a lot more revenue from office construction and from hotels than they do for new housing, kind of adding to some of the sort of local control and and, and NIMBY issues that we had brought up uh, earlier in the day. And just to flesh that out, I'm going to use the example I always use and probably use too much. Mm -hmm. If I'm a city and there's a vacant piece of land next to me and I'm choosing between, let's say, an affordable housing project or a target, if I go with the target, that means more money coming into my coffers, and then I don't have to prov- provide schools, parks, and other services for that affordable housing complex. Right. So we're going to do a little good cop, bad cop here. Liam loves being bad cop, so I will be good cop on what Newsom kind of has and has not achieved so far. Probably the biggest feather in his cap on housing and homelessness in terms of things he promised to do and actually did get done legislatively was the anti-rent gouging cap that is now in effect. So some people call this rent control a little more generous than local rent control regimes that many of you are used to. It caps annual rent increases for the vast majority of apartment units in California at 5% plus inflation. And not only that, it prevents folks from being evicted without a specific cause. So these sort of two policies work together, and that was part of the bill. Exactly. Um, It's interesting, too, that policy hasn't been kind of explicitly framed in a homelessness context, at least when it was originally rolled out. But you do see it when Newsom gets up there and says, this is what we're doing about homelessness. This is part of the plan. He also has unleashed pretty much an unprecedented amount of uh, homelessness money. Last year was over $2 billion combined housing and homelessness. This year, there's a proposal for $1.4 billion. Governor Jerry Brown got a ton of acclaim from local elected officials when he approved an emergency homelessness funding amount of $650 million. So that gives you an idea of the scale that Newsom is operating on. A couple other things that Newsom has pushed for in his first year in office and has achieved the number of units that Southern California governments um, are required to plan for has shot up significantly. I think probably much the alarm of perhaps some people in this room. So it used to be Southern California governments only had to plan for about 440,000 units of housing over an eight-year period. That number is now tripled, 1.3 million. Mm -hmm. That includes market rate housing, but also low-income housing as well. Uh, You want to go bad cop? Sure, I'll do it. Um, so, um, <laughs> Pretend to be reluctant. Right, right, right. So w- we talked about the promises, right? A- and my kind of consistent argument in evaluating the governor is that what he has proposed so far has not really lived up to the amount of promises that he's had. You know, we have not seen a major housing production strategy that he has supported uh, along the lines of the housing production that he's calling for. Similarly, while I don't want to take away from the significant increase in funding, the amount of funding he has you know, provided is not uh, kind of ongoing funding. 
funding. It's funding that that needs to happen, be renewed every single year. And so, given the amount of shortage that there is in, in low-income housing in particular, the amount of funding is not necessarily commensurate with what the, the need is. And that's something you hear consistently from services providers and homelessness advocates is, yes, we love the new amount of money, but we need that every year. Let's talk about what he doesn't really control in terms of California's housing crisis. Yeah, so, I mean, he inherited a situation that was obviously, as everyone in this room knows, really, really difficult, right? I mean, folks have referred to decades of underbuilding in the state. That is certainly an issue. Obviously, with the financial crisis the state was under and cutting of funding for affordable housing and many other things, that's a huge ramp up that would be needed to address those concerns. Uh, the price of timber, right? The governor doesn't control that. Housing construction costs are going up. Very little the governor can do. And obviously, the president, you the president has made a habit of beating up on California over its housing issues. But as some of the folks in the last panel mentioned, not done a lot to help support issues in general that would help uh, further house folks. And let's quickly talk. It's amazing how much it's already been referenced about Senate Bill 50, yeah. uh, the bill from Senator Scott Wiener that tries to upzone huge swaths of California. Explain Newsom's position on SB 50 and then kind of the road ahead. Yeah, so he never really said that he wanted that bill, but it was he was weird. It, yeah, because he, you know, it's kind of an interesting situation where he's like, I like the concept, I like the negotiations, but never called out, out and out endorsed endorsed the bill. And in the immediate aftermath of its failure, he committed himself, him and both the leader of this now leader of the state Senate, uh, Tony Atkins from San Diego, committed to supporting a new big housing production bill this year, but very few de details at this point on what that would actually look like. So I think if you want to make big changes to land use policy along the lines of what was being called for in that bill, you're going to need to have the governor being involved in that process and kind of taking ownership over that process. And I think now that has happened, even though SB 50 is no longer on the table. Yes. And just to clarify, when I say it was weird, you would ask the administration, does the governor support SB 50? And you wouldn't get a direct yes or no answer. But yeah, then he like, would say, I we support, are working to move right, it forward. I would support so, conversations. These just to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay, it's time. Governor Schwartz today. <laughs> it was getting too wonky, wasn't it? I'm trying to be very subtle to just say, I think you should wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the it's best. A very, I'm a subtle kind of a person. Yes, you, you know. can tap dance us off if you'd like. So. No, I mean, I just want to say you guys are doing a great job. You're really addressing the issues. I think it's great to talk about the pros and the cons, which every administration has. Uh, and, I, and I still believe that every effort should be made to work with the federal government. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I've had firsthand experience, obviously, as governor, struggling with the federal government. Because remember, when we said we wanted to go and do our environmental action in California, the, the federal government said, no, we don't give you the waiver. And we had to take them all the way up to the Supreme Court, where we then won, because the federal government claimed that greenhouse gases are not a pollutant. And then the Supreme Court said, yes, well, duh. I mean, can it be really that fucking stupid not to think that this is a uh, a pollutant. But anyway, the, the bottom line is uh, we never gave up. We fought and we negotiated and we fought and we negotiated because we give them money. And California only gets back 78 cents for each dollar we pay in taxes. And therefore, everyone in California should be going after the federal government to get the money, no matter who is president. And I tell you, with the after-school programs, when the Bush administration came in, they immediately proposed to cut the funds, the $1.3 billion that uh, Clinton was responsible for getting you know, passed. So there was $1.3 billion they wanted to cut in after-school programs. We didn't say anything. I went back to a hearing at Congress, and we had a great hearing, 
and they put it back again, the 1.3 billion. Then the Obama administration came, and they took it out. So if there's nothing with Republican and Democrat, they took it out because they said, we're with the federal government and we're going to create our own program. Well, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, you know, you cannot trust them with any program back there in Washington. So I was worried about that. So, of course, we went back again, testified again. The Obama administration put it back in. So now for 16 years we had that money because we worked with the federal government. The Trump administration has also taken it out and we went back there again and campaigned and lobbied and said, leave it in, and they left it in. So the bottom line that I'm, what I'm saying is, is never give up and never worry about who is up there. Do you hate that person? Do you like that person? It's not about that. I mean, I understand the frustration that people have with this administration, but I think that what is important is we must, we have no choice. We must work together because it's like a soccer team or a baseball a team or a, a, a basketball team. If one player goes out of line and doesn't work with the team, you have a chance of losing. The only way you can win is if everyone works together and everyone meaning the federal government is part of that mix. So this, this is just my opinion about it. So what kind of help would you like to see from the federal government? Well, I think that, uh, that but there was one thing that was said this very eloquently today. In the 80s, there was the no growth movement and therefore laws were passed to create no growth. And so they were successful with those laws, but they didn't know it would have this kind of consequences. So therefore now you can use the same method to undo those laws that created the, the no growth uh, uh, system in California. Create now laws that undoes that so that we free up our builders, so we provide properties and that we can go and build. Because then you don't have to force cities and everyone to do certain things, which I think is a good idea that you have to stipulate here is what you need to do if the cities don't really do much. I think that you have to create a supply and demand situation. The reason why our housing price has gone out of control, and we all benefited from it, may I remind you, because when you have a house, at one, at one point it costs a million dollars, then a, a, a year later it's 1.2 million, then a year later it's 1.5 million, because there is such a shortage of housing. That's why the price goes up. And this is why now, like I said, my postal worker friend in 1968, he paid $280 for an apartment in Santa Monica, five blocks from the beach, two bedrooms, and he made a $1,400 salary as a postal worker. So think about now the, 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 the difference. The day this very same apartment is $3,000, and the postal worker doesn't make $3,000 every month. You know what I'm saying? So, so that is really the problem. It's like it, it's now equal to what you get on, on, on wages. So no one can afford it anymore. So we have created a crisis by the government. So we have to now ask and beg the government to undo this crisis so that we can have affordable housing and that we can go and build rather than doing all this artificial stuff that we are trying to do here. So this is just one of the things. But as you could hear, the why I wanted to bring everyone together, and I want to thank all of you that are staying here so far. Thank you for staying that long, because I know it sometimes gets boring, but I find it just fascinating. I do. I mean, to me, it's just like unbelievable, because I'm not an expert in housing. I'm not an expert in homelessness. I'm not. But my heart is there. And when I go and I drive around Venice with my bicycle, and I go to Gord's gym, and I see all of a sudden there's one tent, and then there's another tent, 
and then months later, there's three more tents, and then months later, there's another three more tents, and now Goldstream is surrounded by tents. I said, what the hell is going on here? Why are these politicians not solving this problem? I mean, they're talking eloquently about everything. They have great lines and great speeches and great solutions up here. But I'm just saying, I just hope and pray that they now go home and do the things that they suggested here. And wouldn't that be great? Because we can get rid of the problem. I mean, there's a short-term solutions and there's long-term solutions. You're not going to get rid of this problem in five years. But within the next 10 years, I think that we should lick this problem if everyone really works together. So this is exactly what I feel like. And I think you have to be very bold and you have to kind of you know, go all out, which politicians naturally don't like to do. They like to address little things because it's safer. You know, like, let's pass a anti-cowtail cutting legislation. While we had a budget crisis in, in Sacramento, I mean, we were having a, a, a 10 billion dollar deficit and we were about to do the budget. They couldn't get the budget done, but they passed the Blueberry Commission law. Did you sign so that? that's the way they, that's the, I'm telling you, this is what I've experienced, what I experienced when I was in Sacramento. They passed a commission, a law that to, to create a blueberry commission, and we were sitting on a $10 billion deficit. Did they you couldn't sign get the budget. The blueberry done. commission, does it exist? No, I wouldn't sign anything until the budget was done. <laughs> Nothing was signed. So, but I mean, just I give you the inside of the way it works, you know, so because I've been there. But now I just want to tell you the Schwarzenegger Institute is all about solving problems. I don't care if you're a Republican, I don't care if you're a Democrat. I never looked at any party as the enemy. I always looked at the parties as partners and as ways of solving the problems. I swear to you. And uh, Kevin De Leon, who was the speaker, and he was like the, the, the president pro tem up there, and he served uh, at the time I was governor even. We worked together. He knows. You know, I had Democrats come down to the tent, to the smoking tent, because I had a cigar tent in, in, uh, in, at the middle of the Capitol, because there was a law that you couldn't smoke inside the Capitol. You know, uh, so I, and then there was a law that you had to be 20 feet away from the Capitol wall. So I built a tent 20 feet away from the Capitol wall, and we smoked all stogies all day long and had a great time and drank Austrian schnapps. Exactly. That's what we did. Sounds, Sounds great. Fun, right. Anyway. Great time. Yeah. So anyway, I just want to thank you all for being here. We will have many more symposiums and you all will get invited. Okay. So you want to ask a question? Oh, let's go. Sure. Yeah. You know, but I mean, we got to get out of here now. These poor people need to go to work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I agree. So how do you think Newsom is handling engaging with the Trump administration? Well, I think that, uh, as I said, it is important to continue engaging with the Trump administration and with the federal government. And what Newsom does, there's a rule that we have that we never really comment on uh, the next governor. So I, as a governor uh, that have uh, served, I never got any criticism from Gray Davis or from Pete Wilson or from those guys. I'm not going to go and criticize a Jerry Brown or Newsom or anybody else. I'm not going to say anything negative. I, you know, he has just come into office. He's now a year governor. I wish him good luck, and I told him also that any time he needs my help, I'm there for him. Has he so reached to out me, to you? To me, yes. We have done some things together, and um, you know, and so I wish him all the best of luck. And uh, you know, it's our California. We got to support whoever is the leader there, 
and uh, you know I will be supportive of him whatever he does and uh, it's never going to be perfect look we all I think different than he does you think different than he does we all think different you know so I just hope that he has the big vision and that he goes and takes care of this problem because I think he has a good opportunity to really lick this problem of homelessness once and for all. And there's many other kind of issues in California, even though it's, like I said, the greatest state. All right. Anyway, let's give them a big hand here, otherwise they will not stop. <laughs> Thank you very much. You guys did great. Governor, you referenced your action on climate change, and I'm wondering the extent to which you link some of the housing challenges that the state has with climate change. There's a lot of argument that you need to build more densely to help address some of the climate problems the state has. First of all, I think there's uh, one commonality, and that is that you have to have a vision. You know, I think that if you have a very clear vision of where you want to go and what your goal is, we were very clear. We want to reduce our greenhouse gases by 25% and we wanted to create a million solar roofs and we wanted to create 50% of renewables. So it was a very clear mission. And we went after that with vengeance. And we met our goal because of that two years early, in 2018 rather than 2020. And with the homeless issues, you have to do the same thing. You have to just have a big vision and you have to say, okay, we have now 60-some thousand uh, homeless in Los Angeles, and here's what we need to do. And you just got to go through the list of things that you need to do to get rid of this homeless and how to get rid of the 120,000 statewide, because it's inexcusable that it is exploding. A problem has become a crisis now, and the politicians have to get their act together, not only in as far as working together locals and state and federal government, but also, you know, to bring in the private sector and the nonprofit and the academics and to bring everyone in and to work together and not to start pickering and doing all this kind of a party stuff, you know, where they say, well, we're the Democrats, we're the only ones to care for, care for homeless. Nonsense. I'm a Republican. I care as much as about homeless than anyone else. And I, I, as a matter of fact, I feel really sorry for the homeless because especially now when I ride my bike in the morning to Gorge Gym I ride through Venice and I see the homeless there camping out and I'm freezing my ass off and I have a down jacket on a lot of those people that are living in those tents don't have the money for a down jacket Do you and they're freezing with them at all? yeah I talk to them and yeah. they, they say hi they... governor hi Arnold and all that kind of stuff so they're right out in front of Gorge Gym so of course I talk to them yeah. a lot of times and just you know, hear what their issues are and then they were very well organized you know there's people that are responsible for cleaning up the sidewalks afterwards at 8 o'clock then the police comes and then they clears up the whole thing and all this but I mean no matter what it is sad that people have been put in this situation and I'm talking now about you know probably more than 90% of the people because there's always a certain percentage they don't want to live anywhere yeah. in an apartment they don't want to go and have a job and work and be responsible but I mean the majority of them want yeah. to have a job want to have a home, want to be insured, want to have health care, and want to have, uh, you know, mental health care. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people, you know, out there and home that are homeless that really have a drug addiction problem and that have... A, a, you know, a mental health problem. So uh, one of your staffers told me you used to build apartment buildings when you first came to California. That's right. Th tell me more about that, and did it impart any lessons on housing for you? I thought that California is a gold mine when it comes to real estate investment, right? And I think it was a gold mine simply because of the mistake that government made, which is to go and to restrict your building. Because ah, then, hmm. therefore, there was now becoming more and more kind of a demand for apartments. 
and there was not enough supply. And therefore, what you had was going up and up and up, sometimes 10, 15 percent, 20 percent a year. So if you had a building that cost a million dollars, let's say in those days, a six bedroom, uh, a six unit apartment building. This was when? Uh, this we were talking about the 70s now. Okay. Mid-70s. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, all of a sudden you can go and the next year it will be worth 1.1 million. Then it will be 1.2 million, 1.3 million. So now think about it. You put down $100,000 and it goes up to 1.3 million in three years. So you made 300% on your money. Yeah. So this was it was like a gold mine when you invested in, in real estate, but it was bad for the people uh. because the people had they didn't have the apartments available. The prices went up all the time. The prices of real estate went up all the time, and so we created this artificial kind of a, uh, a housing prices and housing situation because government interfered and government came up with this idea of no growth and then every city they started passing initiatives not in my backyard we want yeah. no growth because we don't know how to deal with the sewage problem we don't know how to deal with the water problem and with the drought transportation infrastructure we would have to need build more schools if we right. have more population but it didn't stop people from moving into California they came anyway yeah. because anywhere I go I travel the world over and over. Mm-hmm. Anywhere I go, people come up to me and say, please, Arnold, can you help me get to California? Mm-hmm. They don't talk about, can you help me get to Iowa or something <laughs> like that. They say California. That is the most desirable right. state. It's yeah. not knocking Iowa. It's just sure. like California, Florida, New York, maybe. That's it. Right. That, those are the places, the places people want to go. So yeah. therefore, people came from around the world, and now we went from the 25 million population it was in the mid 70s to 40 million so where do those people live there's a lot of conversation particularly among folks who want to redo the whole way that california housing system is is uh, is operated not in this just the state but in the country about thinking about places like austria and vienna which has social housing and i'm just curious what you think about that idea and how it worked there and your experience compared to here i think that's one way of solving it yeah i think our system here is different and i think that our system is that it, our economy is, 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 is kind of based on supply and demand. But as soon as you interfere with that, you're going to have a problem. Mm. In Austria, it goes to a whole other level when the government participates because their government does have ownership of various different businesses and stuff like that and of apartments and housing and so on. And before then, when I used to live there, government owned the tobacco industry, the railroads, the television stations, radio and everything. So it was true socialism. But uh, now that is not the case anymore. But government is still you know, involved in those kind of issues. So I think that the, the, that's one way to go. But the other way is to let to take government out of the mix and to say, don't interfere don't put restrictions always on it and don't create this artificial kind of a no growth kind of system that then backfires years later. And this is not me saying it. This is like experts in the field saying it. So a lot of low-income housing advocates will argue we used to have a lot more money for low-income housing and then redevelopment was dissolved by Jerry Brown. Curious to get your thoughts on that. Would you have killed redevelopment? This is a very, very complex issue. It's not that simple. There is not one solution. 
I mean, the one of all solution, as I said, is, you know, the roll back. There's no growth kind of movement and it'll just go now and undo that. So that's one thing. But that is a long term goal because that would have a great effect in 10 or 20 years from now, yeah. but not immediately. So I think that uh, what has to happen is, is we have to go and look at all of the things that the various different political leaders in the private sector and everyone has proposed here today. Look at that and just say, OK, let's go in there and talk about those issues and let's try to solve it. The key thing is you can go through it point by point and we can debate over those points. But unless Democrats and Republicans and everyone work together and have a very clear vision of what their goal is, what they want to accomplish, it's not going to happen. So you mentioned a kind of general Republican point of view, which is working to remove restrictions to allow the market to work, right, and do the supply and demand uh, and, and address that. And that's a lot of commonly held position on, uh, among Republicans. But there's a lot of Republicans in California and other places that are among the most strongest adherents of local control, you know, which can tend to lead to some of the nimbyism issues that we were brought up a lot. How do you address that Republican kind of paradox between those who support ending some regulation, but also very much supporting issues like local control? First of all, there's nothing to do with Republican. Yeah. Or with Democrat. Both of those parties like to speak out of both sides of their mouth. Okay, so it's that yeah. they, they, they always do that yeah. because they want to go and try to please everybody and get votes. Right. So this is what it's about. But the bottom line is we got to go and be consistent. You know, you have the politicians say on one side, oh, leave government out. And then they go want to go and have government be very heavily involved in another th- yeah. situation. And it's the same with the federal government. So I think that the key thing is, is to work together. What I did in Sacramento is I didn't agree with the Democrats on a lot of issues, but we worked together. And uh, I remember when we did the cap and trade, the Democrats said, well, we want to do a carbon tax. That's the only thing that we would pass in our legislation, and uh, otherwise there would be nothing. And I said, look, I think a cap and trade is better because it will give people an incentive to do well so that you actually get money. And then those that uh, don't want to do well have to pay for it. We went back and forth and back and forth, and then we settled with uh, the cap and trade, which was still making people pay for if they're polluters, but not to do it exactly the way the Democrats wanted. I remember when we did the solar, the million solar roof. So the reason why it took a long time to negotiate was because the Democrats wanted to go and make it a labor issue. Mm. They said, uh, so then it was the question, okay, it should be a labor issue. That's perfectly fine. Anyone that installs a solar uh, should uh, do it with official labor and with the unions. That's no problem. But what part of it are we, are we talking about here? And then they said, well, everything has to do with the roof. I said, oh, there we are. I said, now you're abusing the system. I said, because everything is with the roof. It's the roof builder. It's the people that put the tiles on the roof. Mm-hmm. It's the people that do the electrical on the roof. Everything they wanted to do labor, you know, and, 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 uh, and uh, uh, make it very expensive then. So what we did was we negotiated and say, okay, just the people that installed the solar uh, you know, official, uh, you know, from labor, get the, the, the wages, the, you know, what do you call the prevailing, wage. prevailing yeah, wages, yeah. exactly. So that's what we settled. And it was $14,000 to build a solar on the roof. And then the people got uh, some help from the PUC. Uh, so it brought those costs down. And now the prices of solar are down because we built a million solar roofs. And it is against supply and demand that we talked about. Now we don't have to subsidize it anymore. Um, all right. Well, we're getting looks from uh, your staffers now. So we very much appreciate the time and for having us at your event. Thank you so much. Governor well, thank you guys for being here. I mean, in all seriousness, you guys did a great job. 
I love that you came and let's do some more of this. Sounds great. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Yeah.